certain preachers are so effective, what would you put on your list? What would you put on your list? Why do you believe certain preachers are so effective? Okay, stick to the word of God. Okay, why else? <clears throat> Pardon me? Good communicators. There are good communicators. And now, how would you define that, Al? What are you talking about? Okay, good communicators in that they would make application in a way that you can understand what they're saying. Um, what else? Okay, people are praying for them. Uh, they've got people behind them that support them, that pray for them. What else? Yeah, have a personal walk with God. I mean, it's just not a matter of relaying other people's experiences, but actually have an experiential relationship with God that becomes real in their life so that they could illustrate God's principles by what's going on even in their own life. What else? <clears throat> Don't sugarcoat it. Just kind of like uh, tell it the way it is. Oh, there's a, got a couple of them. <laughs> what, uh, what else? Anything else? Okay, yeah, stick to the Word of God. Uh, I heard something about the personality of some sort. Integrity, uh, which would be a, a personal walk with God that would be demonstrated in their life. And a heart for people. They have to care about people. Interesting. Clear communication would be one. I ran across a story that I thought was kind of fascinating because it has to do with evangelism, which we just talked about for the last several weeks. But it is important if you're going to speak that you clearly communicate what you're trying to say. It goes without saying, but then again, not necessarily because there are a lot of people who talk in riddles and you can't figure them out even if you try. Well, apparently there was an evangelist who was, uh, I guess, in a, in a mountain community and uh, he was out visiting prospective members and he was traveling from home to home and one particular house that he saw was about two mile walk up a hill from the mailbox down on the main road. So he decided to go head up there and he walked up the hill and uh, this evangelist walked up and he walked up two miles later. He was a little bit out of breath. He had to climb the hill and he got up to this particular house and there was an older gentleman just sitting there rocking on his porch, just rocking away, kind of lazily rocking away and he came up to him and this is what he said. He said, uh, howdy friend, my name is Evangelist Jones. What's yours? The man said, Calloway's my name. What can I do for you? Said so the minister continued, he said, well, I just came up here to talk to you about some things and ask you a few questions. So the man sitting on the porch said, well, shoot, go right ahead. He said, well, the first thing I want to know, Mr. Calloway, is have you made peace with God? He said, peace with God? As far as I can tell, God and I never had an argument. He said, no, 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 you don't understand, Mr. Calloway. He said, are you a Christian? He said, no, I ain't no Christian preacher. I just told you my name's Calloway. The Christians live four mountains up the road. Said, Mr. Calloway, I'm having a hard time getting through to you. What I really want to know is, are you lost? <laughs> Said, nah, I ain't lost. I've been living in here, these hills, for all the parts of my life. I know these mountains like the back of my hand. And the guy was getting real frustrated at this point. He said, Mr. Calloway, what I really want to know is, are you ready for the judgment day? The old boy said, well, when's that going to be? Evangelist said, well, could be today, could be tomorrow. He goes, well, uh, Listen, preacher, whatever you do, don't tell my wife, because she'll want to go both days. <laughs> now, it's, you know, it's fascinating at how easy it is to be misunderstood. And if you've ever had a conversation like that, you know, you've been there, and it can get real confusing. You think you're pretty clear about what you're saying, but it just doesn't seem to be sinking in. 
And one of the things that I'm learning, uh, having the opportunity to do this on a somewhat regular basis, is that uh, with the diverse answers that you get as far as what makes someone effective as a speaker, one of, I mean, basically, there are three things I find out. One is that you can please some of the people all the time. Those are the easy ones. You can please all of the people some of the time. But you can't please all the people all the time. And then there are some people you can't please any of the time. And uh, so as a speaker, one of, the, one of the traps that I fall into, and anyone who, who finds himself in a position like this, is trying to please people. Now, it's not a problem unique to me. It's a problem that all of us have to address. And that is that we have a choice. And throughout the series, we've been talking about basically in life we have two choices. One is that we please God. Or two is that we concern ourselves with pleasing people. And the thing that I'm finding out is, and you probably have too, you can't please people. You just can't please them. You can try. You can please them sometimes. Sometimes you can never please some people. Some people you can please sometimes. And all the people you can please, you know, maybe sometimes. But you can't please everybody all the time. And so it begins to get very frustrating if you're living your life to please people. You can't please people. You'll find it in your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with uh, employees, with co-workers, whatever it is. You just can't please people. And so as a speaker, one of the, one of the redeeming values in understanding and knowing that is that you don't have to lose a lot of sleep wondering if everybody was pleased by what you said. You can just bank on the fact that not everybody always is. And I like this, uh, the, the uh, description that I read one time about an ideal preacher. And this way it goes. It says, preaches exactly 20 minutes, then he sits down. He condemns sin, but he never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. to 10, 10 p.m. in every type of work. From preaching to taxi service, he makes 60 bucks a week, wears good clothes, buys good books regularly, has a nice family, drives a good car, and gives $30 a week back to the church. He also stands ready to contribute to every good work that comes along. He's 26 years old, and he's been preaching for 30 years. He's tall and short. <laughs> He's thin and heavy set, plain looking but handsome. He has one brown eye and one blue eye, blue eye par hair parted in the middle, left side straight and dark, the other side wavy and blonde. <laughs> he has a burning desire to work with teenagers, spends all his time with the older folks. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. <laughs> Makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all of his time evangelizing the end church and is never out of his office. He's a truly remarkable person. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, it, and it tends to be on occasions that that's what we're looking for. And uh, I want to deal with that just a little bit as far as what type of speaker that you look for. Because I'm as guilty as you. You know, what type of speaker do I look for? And is he the type of speaker or she necessarily that's the kind of person that's pleasing to God? Or do they just meet my needs of what I'm looking for? Are the standards that you look for in a speaker the same standards that are pleasing to God? And I've got to do a self-examination on, on a regular basis about am I the type of speaker or spokesperson that God is pleased with? And just because you all may be doesn't mean that He is. And because none of you are doesn't mean that He isn't. So it gets real confusing sometimes based on certain feedback that you can get from people whether you're really doing what you're supposed to be doing or whether you're way off track. So what I did was I looked this, this particular week, and we're, and we're going to get into it, but uh, I want you to listen to, uh, this, this guy was an effective preacher. And he examined himself on a regular basis to make sure that he was on the right track because there were times where people wanted to make him a god. 
There were times when the Apostle Paul spoke that literally people came up to him and lifted them, lifted him above their shoulders and carried him through the town and tried to worship them as God. In one particular instance was uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas and they were together and uh, they, tried, they, they called them gods. They said, the gods have come and they're walking among us. And they lifted him up and they elevated him and they began to worship him. And so in one second he had all the people pleased at one particular time. And so if he was into people pleasing, he'd think, oh man, I am on the right track now, baby. Look at the way that people are responding. But then when he said, don't worship me, I'm just a man like you are. I'm not the one that you should be looking to, but I'm only here as a representative of one who's greater than me. And you need to focus on him. They immediately dropped them off their shoulders and they picked up stones to kill him. Now, if you're getting dropped from the shoulders, you're starting to think, oh, wait a minute, now I must be off track now. <laughs> they're picking up rocks and they're starting to throw them. Maybe I'm off track. But when he was laying on the ground and they picked up stones to hit him with them, he knew he was on track. Now figure it. And this is what he said. And this is why he knew he was on track. This is, this is how he knew he was going the right direction. But may it never be that I should ever boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Did you follow that? But may it never be that I should boast. As a spokesperson for God, what he said, may it never be that I would ever boast in my talents, in my abilities, in my deliverance, in my sense of humor, in the way I can relate to people, in how I care about people, in my presentation, in, the, in my voice fluctuation. May it never be that I would ever boast about those abilities that maybe God has given me, and maybe those are traits of a good speaker. That, and granted, there are certain styles that attract us to them, but may it never be that we would ever boast about those things. He said, there's only one thing that I'll ever boast about as a spokesperson for God, and that is in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that I have a right to boast about. And that's what he said. And so as we go through this, it became apparent to me as we struggle, and you do too, and I obviously do, maybe more so than you, on a weekly basis, but I struggle with pleasing people versus pleasing God. And if I offend somebody, I take it very personal because the people that would think that I would offend them don't know me well enough to know that I wouldn't intend to offend anybody. But certain jokes may be offensive to certain people. There are people that are offended by everything that's said. Then there are people, if you're, they're not offended personally, they're offended because they think somebody else may be offended by it. And so they try to figure out who may be offended by what was just said. And I take that personal and it begins to bother me, but I've got to get back on track. Thank you. Gosh, you know, every now and then it just, it, it just feels so good to hear you say it at the right time. But it's just, it's just the timing we need to be working on. That's what it is. But the point is this, and that's very simple, is that you will find yourself, as we've been talking about sharing God's love with other people who don't know His love, you will find yourself in the same dilemma that I find myself in, and that is second-guessing whether what I'm doing is right and pleasing to God, whether I'm doing it to please people, whether God is pleased or they're pleased, people are pleased, people are disappointed, what's going on? And you'll get constantly thrown through a turmoil about what direction you need to be heading. 
So if you are in uh, the mode, hopefully now, after what we've just discussed for the last several weeks, if you are in the, the mode to sharing with other people God's love, then you're going to have to deal with this, and that is, are you more concerned about pleasing them, or are you more concerned about pleasing God? And if you are, what you'll find is that proclaiming the cross of Jesus Christ is pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God. And you'll find that maybe not everybody that you talk to is going to be real happy about what you have to say. Got your Bibles? Turn with me for a moment to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's a great section of Scripture that deals just with this particular point. 1 Corinthians 1. Proclaiming the cross, the message of the cross, is pleasing to God. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 17, he writes this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech that the cross of Christ should ever be made void. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In verse 21, it goes on and it says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The Bible says that God is well pleased and in keeping with the context of our series of pleasing God, God is well pleased with the message of the cross. But the problem becomes a matter of what is that particular message or what is the cross or what is it that we should be talking about. If you think of the message of the cross, you know, what comes to mind? Because the cross is a real confusing subject. If the message of proclaiming the message of the cross is pleasing to God, if I want to please God, I must understand what the message of the cross is. What exactly is it about the cross that pleases God? I'm not motivated to share that or to talk about it if I don't know what it is that pleases God. And once I do, I may be more motivated to do something about it. So if you think about it, what is the message of the cross and what is it that pleases God about the cross? That's what we have to come to grips with if we're ever to be motivated to do something with it. What is the message of the cross? You know, the cross has been a symbol of um, confusion all throughout history. Many people under the, under the shadow of the cross have used the cross to promote their religious systems and institutions. It's been under the shadow of the cross that through the crusades that people were taken and marched into rivers and saying, be baptized, and if you're not baptized, then we're going to kill you. It was under the, under the guise of the cross, of the shadow of the cross, that men have manipulated other men, and it's a symbol of brutality. It's also confusing because it's that cross, that symbol of the cross, that confuses people, and there are many of us who wear a cross around our neck, who rub a cross for luck, who kiss a cross for luck, as if somehow that cross around our neck or that cross, that symbolism, has some magic associated with it. So we begin to confuse the cross with what pleases God. What is the message of the cross? I've got guys, and, this is, and, and I don't think that in ath athletics that it's any different than the rest of life. 
um, it can tend to be a, a microcosm of a, of a society in general. But it's amazing to me. I work with guys who, man, you know what? I mean, they've got, they've got all the good luck charms. You talk about superstition and things of that nature. Athletes have got some of the weirdest things in the world that are superstitions. And, and we've got guys that, you know, come from religious institutions that believe that if they have that cross around their neck, that they're going to perform well. And all of, their faith and all of their faith and confidence is in that symbol. I, I know one guy went to the University of Notre Dame that when the priest didn't show up for a, a key basketball game, he laid under the tires of the bus and waited until the priest got there to come with him. That's not that unusual. It sounds kind of funny if you never laid under a bus, you know, to... to uh, but, but wait a minute. I mean, he was just... He was just displaying what many of us do on a quiet basis. What's your good luck charm? Where's the magic that you're looking for? See, many people turn to the cross as some symbol of magic. If I got it with me, it's in my pocket. If it's in my car, if it's hanging from my mirror, if it's hanging from my neck, somehow I'll be protected by God because I've got this outward symbol that I can bank on, that I can count on. And so the cross begins to be very confusing. See, the message that God is well pleased is not in the cross or the symbol or a piece of wood, but what God is pleased with is the one who hung on the cross. The person who hung on the cross is who God is pleased with. So that trinket that you have around your neck should be nothing more than just a symbol to remind you of the person who hung on it. And, if he, and hopefully he's off of your trinket because he's not still hanging there. See, and that's all that that cross should ever do. It should be a symbol or represent to you what is pleasing to God, and that was the person who hung on it that's not hanging there anymore, but what he did on it is what's pleasing to God. And that's what we're going to talk about. So as we go through this this morning, there's only two, I mean, basically it's real simple. There's two, two reasons that God is pleased by the message of the cross. Two things that we'll discuss. And the first thing is, it's God's power is displayed by the cross. And we'll take a look at that once again. God's power is displayed by the cross. And the second one is that His purpose is established by the cross. That's it. I mean, those two reasons are why God is well pleased with the message of the cross. If you want to, pro if you want to please God, proclaim the message of the cross. Now what you need to do is understand why that's so important. One is the power of God. Two is the purpose of God is established. And we'll go through it. And I think you'll be surprised at what you find in those particular areas. 1 Corinthians 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. If you've got your Bibles, you can read along with it. If you don't, I've got these up here so that you can look up and we can go through it together. But keep in mind that the first reason God is pleased is because it's His power that's displayed in the preaching of the cross. Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, that it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of, the, of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. 
a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Basically, he's outlining, he's saying, you know what, there's three kinds of people. There's Jewish people that we can use to illustrate. He's saying there are Jews who look for miraculous signs so they can believe what God has to say. Then there are those who are Greek who look for logical explanations for everything in the universe. And they seek God through their own wisdom. And then there's a third group of people, and that's the group that falls into the category of, guess what? Those are the ones who preach the cross. You're looking for miraculous signs? Are you trying to understand God through human wisdom? Or are you one of those people who believe the message of the cross? Those are the only choices. And they pretty much categorize every person that you ever come in contact with. You want a sign, you want to figure it out, or do you just want to believe what God has to say? That's it. That summarizes everybody, for the most part. And so the message of the cross is the power of God. He's saying it is the power of God. And its wisdom is found in the fact that it accomplishes its objective, and that is what? Look, to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is what saves people from the wrath that's to come. And see, you know, go back to that evangelist up, I'm sitting there talking to that mountain boy up on the hill and saying, you know what, I ain't lost. I ain't never been lost. I've been here all the time. I know everything that's going on. And see, what it is, it's a matter of not understanding what God has to say about the future. And that is that God says that we're sinners or separated from the love of God and we are lost. We come into this world lost and we need direction. And the only direction is through Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is that the only way that we won't experience the coming wrath of God, because God is just, is that we need to believe the message of the cross. And if we do, that saves us. And it keeps us from experiencing the wrath of God, the judgment of God. So he goes through it, and what he quotes here, he says, I will destroy the for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. He quotes Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 14. And the context or the history that's involved is Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria, was persecuting Judah and uh, King, king uh, Hezekiah. And so what he's saying is he goes back to that time in history so that Jewish readers and Jewish listeners would understand. When you go back to that particular incident, what had happened was Sennacherib was, was, um, was persecuting Judah and King Hezekiah. And it was King Hezekiah who led to the problem anyway, and the politics of Hezekiah were what led to the difficulties that they were having with, with the king of, uh, king of Assyria. So what God was saying was, listen, you know what? You've you got to trust me. I'm going to take care of this problem. It was your politics and your methods that led you to the mess that you're in right now. But what you've got to do is you've got to trust me, and if you completely trust in me, I'll take care of your problem. And so their problem was that Assyria was going to attack them and destroy them. And so now they had an option. Do we believe in God who says he'll deliver us and do it his way? Or do we believe in our own strength and our own military and our own might to do what we need to do to protect ourselves? And what God is saying is, look, it was your wisdom that got you into this mess. It's time you turn to me and allow my wisdom and my power to get you out of it. So they trusted God. And you know what happened? The angel of the Lord, in one night, with one swipe, killed 185,000 Assyrians. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what happened. 
doesn't make any sense at all. It is insane militarily. The strategy doesn't pan out. It doesn't make any sense. But you know what I'm finding? That what God says goes regardless of my understanding or my ability to understand his wisdom. He's saying, you trust me and I'll take care of you. You don't trust me. It was your wisdom that got you in the mess that you're in now. So what he tells all of us as the human race, he says, look, it was your wisdom that got you into this, the mess to begin with. It was your desire to become like me. It was your desire to understand and know all things like I do. And that's why Adam ate from the fruit. And that's why you're in rebellion against me. And it was your wisdom that led up to this mess. Stop trusting in man's wisdom and start trusting in my plan and in my power. So what he's saying is my power, the message of the cross, is the power of God displayed. Now the problem is, is the challenge still the same? Will you believe in your wisdom or will you believe in God's power? Will you believe that what God says is right and will come to fruition or do you believe somehow in your own wisdom that you'll be pleasing to God? See, you see where the difficulty is? It's no different now than it was then. But if you believe God, then you believe His power. And so that's what he's talking about and that's what, he, what he's referring to. That's why the Apostle Paul could say this. He said, you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel at all because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew, then to the, for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. God's righteousness. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. See, one of the difficult things about sharing this message and proclaiming this message with other people is that it sounds crazy. It really does. It sounds crazy. So what we think we've got to do is we've got to spruce it up, we've got to illustrate it, we've got to make it funny, we've got to make it acceptable, we've got to make it in ways that people can understand it, and we've got to somehow or another um, develop a system or a method to be able to explain to people what they need to hear. But what he says is that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The message is the power of God, not the messenger. We don't make it powerful. I don't make it powerful by going like this. I don't. Might wake up a couple of you, but don't make it powerful. You don't do that. And if, you know what, let's get practical. You want to get practical for a second? Here's the way this works. Some of you won't invite people to come with you to church unless certain people are speaking. Not all of you. I know that's not the case. Just some of you. The more spiritually mature, don't invite anybody. But some of you, are do, some of you do that, right? You ever do that? Call the old recording, see when Dave's going to be around or not going to be around? You ever do that? Nah, some of you do though. Some of you do. And you know how we know that? Because like, depending on what service he wasn't speaking at, the attendance would be like this. Oh, oh, David must be speaking. Oh, David must not be speaking. Oh, David's speaking. So you always could figure it out by the attendance trends and things like that. See, so some of us, not all of us, but some of us believe that it's the speaker that can change lives. Some of us believe that. And you know what? And I understand it. Some of us like a certain personality. Some of us like a certain style. Some of us like sense of humor. Some of us like people that don't sugarcoat it. Some of us like people that are blunt and direct. And we all have different tastes, and I appreciate that, and I understand that. Yet, I want you to understand something. That's not 
the power behind the message. That is not the power behind the message. The message is powerful in and of itself. And if you've ever been fascinated by people that seem to, to be able to deliver the Word of God and you see lives being changed on a regular basis, if you've ever been fascinated by the little measly kind of a, you know, there's no reason, no earthly reason why that person should be as an effective speaker as they are. No reason at all. In fact, you know, sometimes I wish I just wasn't as good looking as I am because, because it can tend to be a stumbling block, you know? You just don't, don't want to cause any problems here when you're trying to illustrate something. Yeah, thank you very much. But, but seriously, it's, if, if you ever, see ya. But if you ever wonder, I mean, that's so, I mean, listen to what I'm saying though. That's not what works. Maybe easier to listen to, but it doesn't change lives. You know what changes lives? God changes lives. The Word of God changes lives. The message changes lives. The message is what's powerful. The message of the cross is what's powerful. If you tell people the message of the cross and you tell them about Jesus Christ, God will use that to change lives. You don't have to be a dynamo. I don't have to be David. He doesn't have to be someone else. He can be who he is and have comfort knowing that if he preaches the message, it's the message that changes lives. That's what's powerful. It doesn't disqualify you because you're not an eloquent public speaker, because you stumble and you trip over your words. That doesn't disqualify you at all. In fact, it puts you exactly where God wants you to be, understanding that you don't persuade anybody into the kingdom of God. That God changes lives. Most powerful story I ever heard to illustrate that truth was, was about Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody was a powerful speaker. He was a powerful preacher of God. And you can't deny that. There are certain people that have that ability to project a, an image of power, but it's not them who changes lives. And he was doing an evangelistic crusade in the city of Chicago one time, and he was preaching the gospel. And people were coming to know Christ. They were trusting in Christ. And about six months later, he came back to the same area. And one particular guy that had come up was lying in a gutter in an alleyway with a cheap bottle of wine and a brown paper bag. And he was lying up against the dumpster. And he obviously wasn't sober and he obviously didn't know what was going on. And one of the skeptics and cynics that were there at the last crusade remembered this guy and he was escorting him through the city. And he said, hey Moody, see that guy laying over there? There's one of your converts. What do you got to say about that? And he never missed a beat. He said, you know what? You're probably right. He's one of my converts. Because he's certainly not one of God's. See? When God changes a life, he does it drastically. And he does it forever. But when men change lives, we do it on a temporary basis. Get you all fired up? Some of the most motivational speakers that I know are, are coaches. They get you fired up, man. They get you so fired up, like the old Newt Rockney story, you can run through a wrong door and run into a whole team, run into a swimming pool, and say, man, they were fired up, boy, and he got them fired up. But you know what? It only lasts a couple games, maybe a day. Got to do it all over again the next week. Got to come up with a whole new motivational speech to get guys fired up. When men change lives, we do it on a temporary basis. And some of you, if I change your life, I do it until you get to the car and you forget what I said. But if God changes your life, you'll leave here, you'll be convicted, and you'll do something about it. See, the message of the cross is what's powerful, not the person that presents it. And that's why God's so pleased with it. 
That's why he's so pleased with the message of the cross, because it's all his doing. It's not men. That's not who preaches it. It's God. He doesn't mess around. If he changed your life, he's done it forever. And it's a wonderful position to be in. But as we go through this, you know, God's honored by that plan because he gets all the credit for it. He gets all the glory for it. Isn't that wonderful? Everything that we do, we do to give glory and honor to God. That's our whole purpose in being here. So if you proclaim the message of the cross, even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you and you can't figure it out, the good news is God said he's well pleased by what you're doing. So don't worry about pleasing people. You just dedicate your life to pleasing God. Now let's go through this for a moment, and I want to ask you if, what category that you're in. There's uh, the Jews who search for signs. There are the Gentiles or the Greeks who search for human wisdom. And then there's the last category of person, that's the person who just believes the message of the cross. Okay, so let's go through this for a moment and look at a couple of things that have to do with signs. The Jews wanted signs. And the signs that they looked for were the signs that were to take place at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews were searching for signs in the atmosphere, in the heavens, where the stars would turn colors and the moon would turn to red and the sun would turn to red. And they were looking for all these outward signs. That's what they were searching for. And while those signs never appeared because it wasn't a second coming, they will happen in the future, the signs that they searched for... They didn't see, but the signs that were obvious, they missed. And, the first, and what Jesus said, he said in John 14, 11, he said, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So the reason that Jesus did not only to show the grace and love of God for people who were suffering, but one of the main reasons that Jesus performed the signs and the miracles that he did was to validate his claim that he was God in human flesh. That he was the Messiah that was promised that would save their people, the people from their sins. That's why he did what he did. So he said, hey, look, you know what? I and the Father am one. I am God. If you don't believe that, at least believe in the evidence that I've given to you to demonstrate that I am God. And that's what he said. And so when John the Baptist was in prison in Luke 7, 19 through 23, he sent his disciples to the Lord and he said, uh, ask him, are you the one who has come, or should we expect someone else? Now, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one, the Savior of the world, the one who is going to, to uh, reconcile people to God? Are you the one that we can trust in for forgiveness of sin? Are you the one that's going to save us from our sins? Are you the one that's going to make us right before God? Are you the one? And uh, they came to him and said, or should we expect someone else? Are we barking up the wrong tree here? He says, that very, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers and he said, You go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble over me. You know how he proved he was God? When they asked him the question at that very moment in time, he did many miracles. To the point where those messengers that came to him saw him take place. They said, oh, okay, in case you had any doubts, now go back and tell John what you saw happen when you asked that question. The evidence is there. The miracles are there. Everything that God ever will and promised to do, he did in Jesus Christ. 
In John 6, 26 through 29, he says, Jesus answered them, and they were asking, what, do we must, what, what must we do? You know, what works do we got to do to be right with God? He says, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed a seal of approval. Then they asked and said, what must we do to, to do the works of God? And Jesus said this, the work of God is this, that you believe in the one he has sent. You believe in the one that he has sent. See, this is, this is the message that we need to proclaim to people. You can't do enough good things, folks. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough. You can't pray enough. You can't be nice to people enough. You can't do anything enough. Because the only good work you'll ever do that will make you right with God is just believing on Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the message of the cross. And you know why God is so pleased with that? Because it's His power, as you share that with others, it's His power, His words, that will change that life. Not you. Not how you present it. Not your mannerisms. Although those are all important things and we teach classes on methodology and all that kind of stuff. But I think what we really need to start focusing on is just preaching the message of the cross. There's nothing you can do that will ever please God more than what Jesus did on the cross. The cross, the message of the cross, the one who died on the cross. And so that's what they looked for. And you know what? Jesus said, man, you know what? All these things that Jesus did, he did that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All the miracles, the signs, the things that he did, he did to validate who he was so that people would believe in him. So, but there are people, yeah, you're still looking for signs though, see? You know what, you know what amazes me, and I've seen it, and, and I read about it, and you read about it in a religious section of the paper typically, but we are a people in a world that's enamored by miraculous signs. We want a sign from God. We want a miracle in our life. We'll travel all over the world to see a weeping statue. We'll examine it. We'll look at it. We'll try to figure it all out. We want, we want something miraculous. That's what we want. See, and if you are in that category, you are no different than the rest of the world who wants a miraculous sign to somehow validate that God is who He says He is. You may pray for His mercy, and you may pray for His, his uh, mercy to be shown in your life, but don't ever tell God, if you heal me, if you, if, you, if you bless me financially, if you just bring this into my life that I really want, if you do this for me, then I'll believe in you. Excuse me? That's what the Jews are saying. You do this for us, change, change the atmosphere. You do that for us, I won't believe you. And Jesus said, you know what? Let me just tell you something. There's only one sign that I'm going to give you. And that's the sign of Jonah that after three days I'm going to raise from the dead. And there ain't nothing greater than my resurrection. So if you're looking for a weeping statue or you're looking for something to happen miraculous, let me just tell you this. The whole of Christianity is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation and the truth upon which everything else is built. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, then you just prove He never raised from the dead. And if you can prove it, then we're all to be pitied because we have no one to follow because he's dead. But it can't be proven. You know why? Because he raised from the dead. And he's alive today. And that's the message of the cross. That he's not hanging there still. He's not dead on the cross. 
He did his work on the cross, got down off the cross, rose from the dead, and he's alive, and he's real, and he's more real than the people sitting around you. And that's the message of the cross. But you know what? Then there's the category that goes to human wisdom, and that's, you know what? There's got to be a logical explanation for everything. Just help me figure it out. There's got to be a logical explanation for everything. And so the Gentiles or the Greeks look for that. And in Romans 1, 21 through 25, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave Him thanks. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. So he said, he said, you want to figure it out logically? You can't do it. It isn't logical. It's not with man's wisdom. So when you're dealing with somebody who always is looking at logic, guess what? You're not going to reach them with logic because logic will never lead them to God. Logic will never lead them to Jesus Christ. But the cross will. So you concentrate on the cross. And that message is well-pleasing to God. Don't worry about logically explaining something. Don't worry about telling people to look for miraculous signs. Just take them back to the cross. Here's what God says is right. Jesus loves you. He died for you on the cross. He shed his blood. And because he did that, if you just believe that, you'll be right with God. That's all you have to do. That's simple. And so that's what he says to do. Don't look for human wisdom because human, human wisdom leads to nothing but futility. And uh, Solomon was very clear on that in his writings in Ecclesiastes. Second reason is that God's purpose is established by preaching the cross. God's plan, God's purpose is established by the preaching of the cross. And that's as you go through it what he has to say. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Think what you used to be like, is what he's saying. Remember those days? Remember what you used to be like? You know what? Stop and think about that for a moment. Do you remember what you used to be like? Well, what changed you? You? Human wisdom? A degree? Education? What changed you? See, and that's what he wants us to remember. Remember what you used to be like? Well, remember how you used to always try to change yourself? Remember how I used to do that? I'm going to change, I swear. This time I'm going to change. It's never going to happen again. I'm never going to yell at you. I'm never going to hit you. I'm never going to drink. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. It's never going to happen. I'm never going to do that again. And then you do it again. Oh, I hate myself because I keep doing the same stupid thing over and over again. I can't seem to free myself of it. So what he's saying is, remember what you used to be like. Well, how do you think you got to where you are now? Because you changed yourself. God help you. You didn't. You can't. You don't even know how. It's impossible. So, so think about where you came from, and it'll give you a good reminder of what is pleasing to God. Because he said, remember where you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, and not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and to despise things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, redemption. Therefore, it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you're a new person, boast in the Lord, because you didn't do it on your own. 
If he changed your life, then give him credit for it because it was his power that changed your life, not your abilities. And so he goes on and he says, you know what? When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with, with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The only thing that I know is the cross changes lives. What Jesus did on the, on the cross changes lives. That's it. That's the power of God. And I came to you in weakness and in fear. Well, I wonder why. Because I knew none of you would think it would make any sense. It's kind of a crazy thing when you stop and get right down to it. But I can't explain it any other way except for God changed my life when I put my trust in Christ. And Paul knows because he has experienced the love of God. It's first person. All I can tell you is I'm not who I used to be, and it's not because I changed and I did all these things to get to where I am today. It's because God chose a foolish thing in me and made me who I am today. That's as simple as it gets. And so he goes on and he says, I came to you in weakness and in fear with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Proclaiming the message of the cross pleases God. And you know why it does? Because none of us can boast in who we are in Christ. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. See, the gospel is the power of God. Don't ever be ashamed of it. The gospel is the power of God. Don't ever be embarrassed to share the gospel with people. Don't ever be embarrassed to invite someone to hear the gospel presented, regardless of who the speaker is. Do not fall into the trap of human wisdom that says, boy, that was dynamite. And you know what? It's so funny. I've talked to people. You walk out of here and you think, man, that was so good. They got it. They had to hear that. They didn't hear it. They don't discuss it. You ask them questions. They don't know what you're talking about. And you think, but man, David was powerful this morning. He was. And you heard it, but they didn't hear it. Do you know why? Because salvation is all of God. God doesn't need my help. God doesn't need anybody's help. It's a privilege to be used by God to be able to share with people the message of the cross. When Jesus asked Peter, and he said, Who do people say that I am? Peter said, you know, they're saying all kind of stuff. You're John the Baptist. You're Elijah. You're a great disciple. You're just all these things. And Jesus said, you know, that's great. I'm glad they're all saying those things. But let me ask you something very personal. Who do you say that I am? And he said, you know what? He goes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus, you are God. You're the Savior of the world. You know what Jesus said? He didn't say, oh, now did you hear that on a tape somewhere? That's, uh, who was it I need to give credit to because it's obvious they persuaded you into the kingdom of God. And uh, boy, I need, more, I need more speakers like that. Who was it? He didn't say that. He said, blessed are you, Peter, Simon Barjona. You know why you're blessed? Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Salvation is all of God. And I like the, the passage in John 3, 14 through 16. We'll close on this. It says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only, one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, 
but have everlasting eternal life. Just as Moses lifted a snake up in the wilderness, and the story is very simple, the people were bitten by snakes, and Moses was told by God, if you lift the snake up in the air, that whoever looked upon the snake would be healed and would not die. And the people thought, that's the dumbest medicine I've ever heard. I'd rather go to the drugstore. I'd rather get a prescription. Is there any other way to do it? And God said, there isn't. You look at the snake, and you won't die as, as Moses lifts it up. And ladies and gentlemen, it is such a wonderful thought. But you know what? When they looked at it, they were healed. doesn't make sense. And God says, just as, as Moses lifted that snake up, so if you and I lift the cross up to people in our lives so they can clearly see what Jesus Christ did on the cross, if they will look upon that cross, they too will be healed. You know, it doesn't get any simpler than that. The message of the cross is pleasing to God because it's the power of God and because it's the plan or purpose of God. It's God's plan to redeem the world to himself, and he chose to use the cross. All he asks us to do is to share that with people, because it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's a great message, and it's one we need to be sharing, without any fear, and without any trepidation, because it is God's power. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you for the message of the cross. We just uh, ask that you would give us the boldness to continually look to the cross as your power, as your wisdom, as your plan. You tell us that it is the power, your power that changes lives. That as we present the message of the cross, and not the piece of wood, but the person who died on it, the person who died and shed his blood for our sins, the person who rose from the dead three days later, proving that he is God. As we point people to the cross, may it be not to rub it for luck or hope there's something magic in it, but may it be to embrace the person who loved us so much that he died for us. May we never feel like we don't have the ability because we're not eloquent, because we're not persuasive, and in fact, Lord, may those things be taken from our life so that this simple message of your love can be seen through what we say. May we never try to manipulate the word so that it could be more appealing to people. But may we always in everything that we do and say be pleasing to you because you are well pleased in your power and in your plan to redeem the world through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to point to that. And we just thank you that it's, you're the one who changes lives, that you do it for an eternity, and we never have to worry about whether what we say will work. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.